Let's pray. We've got quite a bit to do this morning. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'll pray, and then we will begin. Hopefully you received a handout, too, on your way in that'll kind of just provide for us. We were going to divide up the text this morning to walk through Moses, his exhortation to Israel. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning, uh, the Lord's Day, the opportunity to gather with our church family, to, to study the word together, to, to seek to obey what we hear, to apply what we hear, to, to honor you and glorify you as we go from here. We seek to be informed by truth and to respond in faith to, to what, is, what is taught. Um, give us ears to hear. I pray you'd be glorified in all that takes place this morning. Uh, we're grateful that we can trust in you even as we're mindful of your faithfulness and even specifically thinking of, of promises made that will be promises kept. And so we just delight in that truth as we think through uh, even your covenant with, with Israel that we're mindful of as we walk through Deuteronomy. We love you and thank you and praise you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last Sunday, there were some questions that kind of popped up here and there through our study. We really had a lot to look at between chapters 2 and 3, and so really just kind of trying to walk through that as fast as appropriately uh, fast as we could, uh, but didn't get to necessarily interact with some of the comments. But it did seem like there's a, you know, somewhat of just an interest in thinking through what, what's currently going on in, um, in Israel, and then how does that even relate to, to what, what we're going to be reading about in Deuteronomy when we think of, of even this, this unconditional, unilateral covenant that God had made with Abraham, this Abrahamic covenant, and then to see it on display in particular to the promises that God has made to Israel in regards to the land that they are about to enter into. And so Deuteronomy 4 really will be significant, um, as will so much of, of the rest of, of this book, to think through both this unconditional promise that they are going to enter into the land. This land is, uh, this promised land is what God has given to them, and they will take the land uh, but there's also these realities that, that, that they're commanded to obey. And so when they fail to obey, that certain the, the, the timing of the fulfillment and the, the consequences of enjoying the blessing of the fulfillment, all those sort of realities are certainly going to affect um, the people of God as they do, in fact, disobey against God's commands. And so he's going to spread them uh, discipline them. Uh, there's going to be exile, but, but God's purposes will stand. They were not thwarted, and his promise will remain. To, they, they, will, um, they will be given this land, and so we're going to see that a lot in Deuteronomy 4. Anyway, that relates now as we think through, through you know, the, this modern day, this nation Israel and, and the land that, that they have, and to see this war that is going on, and so we've been trying to think of ways to maybe send out some recommended resources to think carefully about the subject. And if you receive the Friday emails, there, was, there were several articles that we linked to. I was going to reference one that is by a professor out at Master's Seminary. His name is uh, Dr. Grisanti. And, and in his article, just thinking biblically about what's currently happening in Israel, 
there, there's a section in that article that we sent out that says, what do these events have to do with the future? And so I'm just going to point out from his commentary on what do these current events, what's on, going on in Israel, what does that have to do with the future? He, he points out uh, a list of 11 uh, just thoughts he has about the future. Let me just point to several that are going to directly relate to Deuteronomy 4 even. Uh, so he says, Yahweh chose Abraham and his descendants through Isaac and Jacob to be his covenant people. He made them his people and guaranteed that he would give them land and make them into a nation. So you're thinking, here's that Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God gave Abraham and his descendants. So then in that reality of this covenant that God has made, God loves his people. God loves his covenant people. We're going to read that very truth in Deuteronomy 4 today. Uh, And then throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see God repeatedly affirming his his commitment to Israel. So you could have so many cross-references to illustrate this point of his commitment to Israel as his chosen people, as his servant nation. So he remains faithful to that commitment to his covenant people. And so that's, that's a conviction that we would hold to these promises that God made to Israel, he will keep. And so on, on he goes to, to point out just um, a variety of other realities about these, uh, the Old Testament predictions about God's promise to establish his kingdom, his millennial kingdom over the entire globe, um, includes his promise to restore a believing nation of Israel to the promised land. And it will be literally fulfilled in a way that, um, that closely matches even the wording of the promises that God uses when he, when he, when he, when he covenants with Israel. So uh, I, I just think you'd walk through that article and benefit from thinking through um, some of the points that are made there. Um, and then here's a, here's a great one. Number 10, Israel becoming a nation in 1948 does not represent the consummation of God's promise to restore his covenant people to the land of promise. Regardless, having Israel as a nation at that time is part of God's providential preparation for the tribulation. So you're just seeing God's providence on display in, in Israel being established as a nation in 1948 that it's going to in the purposes of God, that, that sets up you know, for prophetic events that will come in the future. And so, so the rapture is that next event that this article, I think you'll find helpful. So I'd encourage you to read it if you have not already read through that. The, um, this one I'm referencing is um, How Should We Think About the Current Situation in Israel by Michael Grisanti. Okay, so now we are moving into Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at 40 verses. That's not the entire chapter, but it's almost all of the chapter. And so we do have quite a bit to, to talk about. My hope would be to read through most all of the text. What I was going to do, let's read through verses 1 through 8. So if you're even looking at your handout, you'll notice how we're going to outline this text today is that in chapter 4, we're seeing Moses giving this exhortation to the people of God. This is Moses' exhortation to Israel. And here are the four themes that he's going to exhort uh, the, the people with. Here, here's his exhortation. Moses exhorts Israel to obey. So we'll see that in the first eight verses. And so we want to walk through this call to obedience. Uh, he exhorts the people to remember. Remember. 
So they're commanded to obey. They're commanded to remember. They're commanded to flee idolatry. And so that will be that third section that we'll think carefully about. And then really the motivation for all of this is really the end of this. When we get to verse 40, and we see that really what's been outlined here in the text is, is very much a careful exhortation on who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do. I mean, I, I think we often say that paradigm, uh, and it's a very helpful paradigm to think through, why can I trust God? What, what, when, I, when I read through the scriptures, how should I think about God? We want to think rightly about God. We want to think rightly about what he's done. We want to think rightly about what he's going to do. And really, that's what Moses really kind of walks through in this chapter. And so really, the fourth section, the fascinating place, 32 through 40, there's so much to learn about God. The character of God uh, shines forth throughout this chapter, but we're going to say that's, that's that fourth section. He's, he's commanded them to obey, to remember, to flee idolatry. And the, the fourth section is really the motivation behind all of this. Not only God's faithfulness to them, but their call to obey, remember, and flee idolatry. It's all motivated by the uniqueness of God. So this, this last section will be on the uniqueness of God. Moses exhorts Israel on the uniqueness of God. So let's read through verses 1 through 8 and then interact with that section. And then for the remainder of the chapter, we'll, we'll probably just go verse by verse uh, to comment on, on much of what's there, not all of what's there. Okay, so you should be uh, in your Bibles. You want to have it open to Deuteronomy 4. And then take some notes if you're able uh, on the handout perhaps. And you'll see at the bottom left, I just put that little text box there as an assignment for you. Uh, because as we, as we walk through, there's much to observe about who God is. So as we see his character um, spoken of, uh, take note. I, I, I don't know that I even have all, I, I don't have all of the attributes of God that are spoken of in this chapter uh, written down there in regards to verses, but that's just kind of prompting you, help try and, try and figure those out as we walk through what are the attributes of God that are listed in Deuteronomy 4, and, and what else is there that we haven't listed in that box? So, so as you're taking notes, kind of try and note attributes of God as we walk through. So here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it 
as the Lord our God is to us. Whenever we call upon him, and that great nation, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Okay, so beginning here in verse one, um, what is the command? What is Israel commanded to do? What was that? Take possession. Oh, um, yeah, listen, that's right. But yeah, so it all is, is leading to, you're right, Rick is right. There, there's more than one command in this section. There, there's a variety of, of uh, commands, not, not options, not ideas, commands upon Israel. Uh, but as it, as it begins, verse one, their responsibility is to listen. They're to, they're to hear and, and what would be involved in such listening when we're thinking in, uh, as we read a word like listen, it's communicating, you know, hearing and obeying what God has commanded. And so there, the command here in verse one is to listen so that what? What will such obedience lead to? Follow them. So listening is going to, include following uh, the teaching, but what it does, it leads to life. This is actually going to be a theme throughout Deuteronomy of um, that you may live, you know, obedience that leads to life. And so you see that even in verse one, the, the command is to listen, to hear and obey, and the result is so that you may live. So we're going to see the, the commands that are given to them are not burdensome. The commands that are given to them are wise. Actually, he's going to say much about who God is uh, as the people of God observe his righteous rules. But they're such righteous rules that by observing them, by hearing and obeying, it leads to, to life. Um, and this is an interesting reality that, that we want to understand. God's promise to Abraham was indeed unconditional. The Abrahamic covenant was a unilateral, like the, the sovereign struck this. It's his terms. God, God's, God, Cut this covenant. It's his terms. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Uh, It's a unilateral covenant. It's also an unconditional covenant. But this unconditional covenant, God's going to give them this land. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's going to give them the land. At the same time, there there is this necessary um, responsibility to obey. Because if you don't obey, Uh, you're going to miss out on blessings. You are going to be disciplined for it. And, um, and so it's going to, God's, God's promises are sure, but the, such disobedience might affect the timing of the promises being fulfilled, uh, and the individuals that might miss out on such promises because of their disobedience. So verse one is telling them their responsibility is to obey, not an option. They're to be faithful to their faithful God. Obey uh, the commands of God. Uh, in fact, since we, we're going to be walking through this whole chapter, just look down at verse 40, uh, even just to see if, if verse 1 is saying, you know, obey, and, and part of this going, obeying, as Rick was saying, is take the land. The end of verse 1 says, go in and take possession of the land. Um, that the Lord your God is giving you, like the land is going to be given to them. This is a reality. This is a promise. That same stated um, 
completion, surety, is, is communicated in verse 40 as well when you, when you read at the very end of the verse. After all that's been said in this whole chapter when he says, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So just recognizing this is, this is unconditional, this promise of giving the, God's chosen people this land. This is going to happen. He is giving them this land, and he's giving them this land for all time. Um, so what do we even learn as we interact with both this unconditional promise at the same time that, that there's going to be consequences for disobedience? They're, they're commanded to obey. That's their responsibility to hear. Um, I, I read one, one commentator who said, obedience is demanded if one is to enjoy the benefits. Uh, as he's interacting with this, this uh, unconditional covenant. He's saying obedience is demanded if one is to enjoy the benefits. Fail, um, failure to participate in the benefits will not therefore frustrate the plan of God as announced in the covenant. If some people do not participate in these benefits, they must, by virtue of being part of Israel, um, transmit these benefits to their successors. And so you're just seeing there, there is a, responsibility to obey to God's faithful promises that include a command to obedience. Okay, so that's all just verse one. Listen, obey, take the land in light of God's covenant promise that he has given to the nation Israel. Okay, so then um, I feel like that, that helps you understand. So you walk through the chapter, you're going to see a host of blessings for obedience. You're also going to see uh, throughout the whole book, but even in chapter four, curses for unfaithfulness. So this is how you, you see both of these realities going on. God's covenant promise will remain. Um, Israel will be punished for disobedience, blessed for obedience, um, blessings for faithfulness, curses for unfaithfulness. Verse two uh, then speaks of, again, this covenant from God. It is unilateral. Like Israel can't adjust the terms. They can't add to, they can't take away. You shall not add to uh, the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Um, verse three, not maybe the most significant event in their history, but very recent. And so it really comes to mind um, that they should learn from the sinful um, events of, of their past, of their forefathers. So um, verse three speaks of, of the, do you remember the immorality that we read of in this event in Numbers that took place at Baal Peor? And so he reminds them, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. And so you're just seeing, man, obedience matters. Obey God, you will be punished for disobedience. So then what's their responsibility? They're to put off sinful past. They're to put on obedience. And verse four, um, 
characterizes such obedience by standing fast. Uh, we even just two weeks ago at church were interacting with the New Testament command for, to stand fast, the encouragement that Paul found in finding the Thessalonians standing fast. Well, this is what Moses has commanded of, of Israel. Um, you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. So even just walk through, this is language that Moses um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses throughout Deuteronomy. So in chapter four, verse four, he says, uh, those who held fast to the Lord are alive today. They've been blessed for their obedience. Go over to chapter 10, he speaks of the same language. Chapter 10, verse 20, speaking of holding fast, he said, I myself stayed on the mountain. Um, uh, sorry, reading the wrong verse. 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. By his name you shall swear. So their responsibility is to obey, serve the Lord, hold fast. 11.22 speaks of holding fast. This is Israel's responsibility. Be careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him. So Deuteronomy 4.4, speaking of holding fast, 10.20 is a cross-reference, 11.22 says it, 13.4 says it, Israel's called to hold fast to the Lord. Okay, well now let's, let's move down then to verses six through eight because there's something really, really neat that's on display here. Moses says, keep them, do them. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It, it honors the Lord, but it's, it's wise. Um, in fact, Moses is comfortable describing, maybe even defining wisdom uh, as keeping and doing God's law. So verse six speaks of this will be your wisdom and your understanding. Um, so we see here in Deuteronomy, this is helpful parenting advice even, uh, but just even just the Christian living, we're seeing in Deuteronomy four, the wisdom of obedience. So, so obedience to righteous rules is described in the scriptures as wisdom. The word in, in, in Hebrew, chokmah, for, for wisdom, do you know, we've talked about it before when we've studied like Proverbs. Do you remember really what that, that word is used for throughout the Old Testament in other contexts, like uh, a word to describe um, skill? And so when we're thinking of, of wisdom, if chokmah is, is skill, so somebody that was a very skillful musician, this word would be used for them. A skillful craftsman, that word would be used for them, that they were capable uh, skillful in, in uh, their craft. Here it's saying that the wise individual is that person that is skillful in living in the fear of the Lord. And so it's just wise living. It's skillful living. You're living in a skillful way under how God's good design. And, and so they're called to live skillfully, live in wisdom. Um, it is, it's, it's what God commands, and it's their responsibility. And verse six is kind of interesting. It's saying, and it's going to be attractive. Wisdom is attractive. I even I've heard somebody say that in the past about in parenting, like we're 
command things of our children. We, we uh, discipline them for disobedience. We, we want to champion wisdom, though. We want to make wisdom attractive. And what I think is interesting here is that God's wisdom is attractive. Look at even verse 6 seems to be communicating to us that by walking in wisdom, living in light of God's righteous law, there is there's just an attractiveness to that. Living in the land, here's a quote by, by the same individual that wrote that article I was talking about earlier, Michael Grisanti. He also wrote a commentary on Deuteronomy. And here's what he says about verse six. Living in the land God gave them provided Israel with an international platform to demonstrate his character to the surrounding nations. So, so you're, they're putting God on display by obeying God's righteous law. In fact, that leads to another, a question that I'll just ask you. As you're looking at verses six through eight, I think there's, what, three times that this nation is described as a great nation. What is it that's so great about this nation? You know, if you think of a other, in a worldly mindset, what would come, if you start describing a great nation, what's going what's gonna to be on that list? What's a great nation? Winning battles. Winning battles. Right, like size, uh, resources. Okay, in verses six, what's so great about this nation, uh, God's chosen nation, Israel? God. God, that's right. Well said. So, yeah, it's God. And, and specifically, when we start thinking about God, what, what does Israel get to experience with, with God? His presence. He's a God who is near. And, um, and so you have... You have the, the nearness of God. That is a great thing. He is transcendent, but he is imminent. He is a God who is near. The one true God, which will be on display throughout this chapter, uh, who transcends all of creation, is, is near to his people. And that is, that is great. What else is great about this nation? And it's back to, if you're thinking through the way, even as Rick said, it's God. That's great. Uh, Statues? Yeah, that's right. Um, what great nation is there, verse 8, that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So what's great about Israel? That their God. Their God is near to them. The one true God is near to his people, and he has given them righteous law. And so, so what, what is great about them? God, their God, who's near and has, has um, given them these statutes and rules that are so righteous. So verses six through eight speak of the uniqueness of God's nearness to them. So that's even one of, one of your attributes you might want to list there would, you, would just be God is near. Okay, uh, any comments or questions? Just briefly, we, we, we certainly... Um, We'll have to be careful with our time. So let's go ahead and then move to this next section. They're commanded to obey. They're also commanded to remember. And so I think I'm just going to need to read, read verses individually here. As you start in verse 9, the instruction is take care. Be careful. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Um, they're, they're to remember 
And when we think often of like what it means to remember, you know, we're, th- we're thinking of, of mental cognizance, an ability to, to um, bring to mind, you know, an event, a name, uh, a security code combination. You know, that we're trying to remember, oh, what was that? What was that? But, but here in the, in the scriptures, um, when we're, we're thinking of remembering, um, it refers to practical behavior. Uh, you know, this is a spiritual issue, such remembrance. Do you, are you, are they going to remember God's law? Are they going to, are they going to practice? Are they going to carry out? Are they, is it going to affect their behavior? It's not just mere memory lapse when they forget. It's a spiritual issue where they're not remembering who God is, um, acting in light of who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do. And so they're, they're called to remember. Um, I was listening to a guy this week preach through this, and in a very ironic way, he made a very strong point. He said, I can't remember who said this, <laughs> but um, forgetfulness is one of the greatest enemies of our faith. Um, and so that, that's really a strong quote to remember there when you're thinking like, how, how much trouble do we get into by, by forgetfulness um, in regards to who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do, what he's called us to. Um, forgetfulness is one of the greatest enemies of our faith. Um, so, so we want to be informed by the truth and allow that to affect how we live, you know, wise living that makes much of God. Uh, in relationship to this whole remember and forget dynamic, look down at, look down at verse 31 of chapter 4. Um, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Um, yeah, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So I think you're really seeing what, what we're talking about when we're talking about forgetfulness, what we're talking about with remembrance. It's not that, that God would ever forget who's that people again, where, where do they live, what, what are they up to? No, he knows it's his covenant people. He's going by, by never forgetting his covenant means that it's gonna, that informs how God is going to treat his people, how he's going to act towards them. He's not going to forget the covenant that he struck with them, that he swore to them. And so, so they're called to remember, they're called to obey, and that's not the only thing that they're responsible to do in regards to, to um, this covenant. What else are they to do with who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do? They're to, they're to remember him, they're to obey him, but as you're looking at the text in, in verses, not, well, just verse nine, what else are they to do? Teach, very good. And so, I don't know, variety of occasions over the last couple months that's come up in, in a sermon, just this importance of generational faithfulness that is brought upon by teaching our children, teaching our children's children. Uh, and that, that is a common refrain in the Psalms and throughout the scriptures to uh, this responsibility parents have as this primary discipler of, of their children, but the significant role that even the grandparents would have with their grandchildren of, of pointing them to the truth and calling them to um, trust God, to believe in God. Um, and so just, just strong statements here in the text to think through uh, the greatness of God and the opportunity to obey his righteous law and to teach others about it. 
So then Moses speaks of an unforgettable event that took place in the life of the nation Israel as he goes to Mount Horeb uh, in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4, speaking of, of what took place there on site before the law was given, the, the, the 10 words. But so in verses 10 and 11, um, he speaks of that day um, that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may, t- so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live that they may teach their children. So even there you have an exodus, that that same framework of uh, fear me, obey me, teach others to go and do likewise. Uh, Verse 11 says, you came near, you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. I mean, what an unforgettable event as as the glory of God is on display. Um, And God... uh, reveals himself to them in, in these, these ways by fire from heaven. Uh, verse 12. Let's, let's, let's finish out this section. 12 through 14. So the Lord spoke out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess. Um, What do you learn about God in verses verses 12 through 14? Invisible. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we're going to see even in the next verse, when we get to the next section, that, that God, God is spirit, does not have a body like men. That's what even the children's catechism would say. You know, John 4, I think that's where it'll be today. Uh, um, we're to, God is spirit. Um, we're to worship him in spirit and truth. But, but unlike all the false idols that they're going to carve up, uh, make, look at, worship, they want to they have something to visualize uh, that's that's going to be the temptation. That's the surrounding influence of all the other nations. They want a God they can see. Uh, one of the ways that God is unique, he, he is not, doesn't have a material body. God is a spirit, and so he's invisible. And you're seeing that here. They heard the sound of words, you know, the, this trumpet. They, they, hear the, the, they hear God, but they saw no form. Um, he declared his covenant um, the Lord commanded them to, t- and, and they uh, are commanded to obey. They've heard, but they have not seen um, when, when he struck these 10 words with them. A lot we could even interact there, but let's just keep going through. Moving, moving now to um, verses 15 and following. So they've been commanded to obey. They're commanded to remember and now they're commanded specifically to flee idolatry. So verse 15, Deuteronomy 4, 15 says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Um, you know, watch yourselves in light of, of who God is. Verse 16, beware 
lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. What are you noticing about this list? What does it sound an awful lot like? Creation. The creation account. That's right. And so what does idolatry do in light of what you're seeing here in this section? I like creation instead of the creator. That's right. So you're thinking Romans 1 language, exactly, of, of what, what, what Paul would even say in Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so, so idolatry flips the creation order and they begin to worship what God created rather than worshiping the creator. So this, this call to flee idolatry is patterned after the creation account. Um, significant to think through. Verse 19. Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance for I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. So last week at the end of the class, there was some interaction about just a, a question that is, this came up in chapter three. It comes up again in chapter four. Um, why did the Lord's anger burn against Moses? Was it, was it because of Moses or was it because of Israel? That's right. So what a, what a profound answer to say, yes, because when you look at, at chapter three in verse 26, if you just look at that verse only, you, you start to think, is Moses just blame shifting here? You know, the, uh, uh, or, or what's going on here? When, when you look at what he says, the Lord was angry, 326, with me because of you and would not listen to me. But, but it's very helpful. And I think we should just go ahead and look, look at other places where, where Moses himself even speaks in Deuteronomy about the realities that have taken place, uh, go, go over to chapter 32 real quick. Because Jim is right when we're saying, um, did the Lord's anger burn against Moses because of Moses? Yes. Did the Lord's anger burn against Moses because of the people? Yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 51 uh, speaks to this as well. Um, Give me a little bit of time here. 51, it says, I should probably go back to 50. Um, when you're seeing Moses' death being foretold, and he's told, um, you'll die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people. And so, so as, as Moses is even writing out what, what God has said um, in Deuteronomy, what you're seeing recorded here in chapter 32, the reason Moses is punished, that, his, that God's anger burnt against Moses, was because he broke faith. 
because he did not um, treat God as holy. That's what Numbers 32, 51 says. But um, Numbers 20 um, spoke earlier of, of Moses' issue was that he did not believe because you did not believe. Um, Numbers 27 speaks, though, of the congregation in their sin. They quarreled against God. And so, so Moses fails to uphold God as holy in light of Israel's quarreling with God. One more cross-reference, and we can move past this point, but, but I think, uh, if remembering right, that the psalmist deal, deals with both sides of this coin. Go to Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33. Psalm 106, 32 and 33. Um, you know, you have here in this psalm, you know, this well-outlined history of, of Israel, 32 and 33 says, they angered him at the waters of Meribah and it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter and he spoke rashly with his lips. Okay, so there, there you go. You really kind of see back and forth between the, the nation's sin and, and, and Moses' sin, and, and you're seeing the, this reality from Moses. Follow, you know, your, your leader. Make it easy for your leader. Um, he's going to be judged for his leadership. Uh, Moses, the anger of the Lord was on Moses for what he did. The anger of the Lord is on, it's, this is judgment on Israel as well. Um, and so, so there's consequences for it. I see hands up, but uh, we're in verse 22. Uh, we got to go through 40. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and just move, move past that real quick. Um, okay, so then you're seeing really truth on display through what is going to be Israel's future that, that's listed here in the following verses. 23 is talking about take care because if you forget the covenant, uh, it's not going to go well for you. Um, the Lord your God's a consuming fire, verse 24. He's a jealous God. Um, so you're seeing that if you act corruptly, know this, that you will pay for your sin. And, and so, so you're going to see the consequences listed here in verses 26 and 27 of what God is promising that he will do in the midst of this covenant that he's made with them. Yet they still, there will be consequences for their sin and so you, you can even see exactly what's described in these verses taking place in the history of Israel. So when you're thinking of captivity, whether the Assyrian um, captivity, the Babylonian captivity, uh, the very thing that, it, that is stated here, verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Um, here's uh, the ironic part. This all will come about through your idolatry. What's going to happen is God's going to place you in a setting where now your only option is idolatry. Like they're going to they're going to be stuck in this setting where um, there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands. Um, and, and these gods can't see, they can't hear, they can't eat, they can't smell. So so that's going to be their consequence. They're going to be scattered, uh, and but there is still hope. Uh, and they have every reason to think of God's faithfulness on display if they repent um, and turn to the Lord. And verses 29 through 31 speak of such repentance. Verse 30 even kind of shows us that, that the repentance that will characterize, uh, that will um, be the basis for, for God um, 
responding to their repentance with, with faithfulness to his promises. Look at verse 30. It's repentance that was God-induced. God brings it about. It says in verse 30, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. He's not just saying that this may end up happening, this would be a good idea. This is what will happen. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Okay, the last section uh, is 32 through 40. It's meaty. Uh, you'd do well to walk through thinking of a variety of attributes of God that are on display. Basically what's taking place is God asks four rhetorical questions, kind of reminding them of who God is, what he's done, what he's going to do. And these rhetorical questions inform them uh, very much about who God is. He's saying, has anything like this ever happened before? Is there anyone like me? No, no. Uh, You're seeing the uniqueness of God on display in these answers to these rhetorical questions. So uh, verse um, verse 30, which one would be, speaking of even just, um, yeah, 34, um, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So they look back on how God delivered them from Egypt. You recognize you have this, this, you know, this people unorganized who, who's going to um, flee the greatest power that they would have known, Egypt, when you're thinking of, of nations, and God's saying, no, like not, this has never happened before. Um, because I alone am God and I did this. Um, and so on and on you could go with all of these different rhetorical questions to recognize who God is and what he's done. So take comfort in your God is the point here. Verse 37 is very significant in regards to how God's love has been demonstrated on Israel. Uh, verse 37 says, because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, um, verse 37 is talking about God's elective purposes, God, the doctrine of election. God, God loved them and chose them um, because of his own sovereign will. Um, it's, it's not just in four as well. Chapter 10 speaks of this, these two words connected together, love and choose. Deuteronomy 10, verse 15. Deuteronomy 7, we'll interact with here very soon. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, that the love and loving and choosing, that's how God has dealt with the nation Israel. Well, here's the point at the end of this whole exhortation, verse 39 and 40. um, Observe who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And then ask yourself, what's the right response in light of these truths? Um, know therefore today, verse 39, lay it to your heart. The Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time call for Israel in this exhortation from Moses is to behold your God. Um, obey him, remember him, uh, flee from any other 
false worship. Flee idolatry and then just observe you know, the uniqueness uh, of, of God. Um, so uh, wonderful truths to interact with on, on a very rich chapter on the doctrine of God. Deuteronomy 4 would be a great place to observe the, the doctrine of God. Let's, let's pray. God, we do praise you and worship you today. You alone are God. Um, you alone are worthy of our worship. And so God, I pray that we'd be informed about who you are from the scripture, your revelation to us. You've revealed yourself to us. That's even one of the other many ways that we see the uniqueness of God. You're, you're a God who's near. You've revealed yourself to us in your word. May we respond by faith um, to your word. May we believe your word, obey your word, remember your word, um, live in light of your word. Um, God, we're just so thankful for these truths that are on display as we observe your character in Deuteronomy. Uh, I pray that as we continue in this study that, that our, uh, the greatness of God would just continue to shine forth um, as we read through this text. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.